Good morning. Happy Christmas to you all. Uh, it's great to see you. We are today continuing our series. We are, uh, well, this is the third week of our series, of our Advent series, where we are discovering more about the arrival of Jesus, God's Son, approximately 2,000 years ago. And we've been exploring or looking at Jesus as our King. So two weeks ago in our first uh, Sunday of the series, we looked at Jesus as our promised king. You know, that he was promised long ago, before, uh, before the world began. He knew that he'd be coming to this earth. It was when Adam and Eve fell short in the Garden of Eden, a plan was put in place. He was the prophesied, uh, the promised king. And then last week we looked at Jesus as the humble king. The fact that he had humbled himself as a man to come and live as one of us. And so today we are looking at Jesus as the unexpected king. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. That's what Jesus is. You know, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, it says, Thank God for this gift. It is a gift that is too wonderful for words. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised for us. You know, he is our source of everything that we could ever want or everything that we could ever need. He is the greatest gift of all. So this morning, I've got quite an unusual Christmas message to bring to you. You know, I think that in the past, when we, when we get to near a Christmas time, we tend to look at or we focus on the Gospels. We read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. But today, this is unusual, because today we're going to be reading from the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians, uh, well, it is certainly an unusual place to find the Christmas story. Uh, Galatians was written by a guy called Paul in approximately 54 A.D., but today we're looking at uh, just only three verses of Galatians 4, verse 4 to, verses 4 to 7. But we're actually going to focus on not just the Christmas message here, but we're going to look at the entire gospel message. And you'll be pleased to know it's only three verses today. We're going to read about God the Father. We're going to read about God the Son. And we're going to read about God the Holy Spirit how all three of them were involved in the reason of Christmas. So let's take a look at Paul's unusual Christmas message, shall we? So if you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to Galatians 4? We're going to be looking at Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. So Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, says this, But when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. 
And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth in such an unexpected way. Lord, you are the unexpected king. You came, you are born as one of us. You lived as one of us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that this Christmas message is full of love, it's full of grace, it's full of hope. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. Amen. Great, so amen. So Paul starts this passage, this verse 4, with a statement, but when the fullness of time had come, or when the right time had come, as some translations say. But what does this statement actually mean? You know, it's not language that we normally use. You know, no one says, yeah, when the fullness of time. Oh, what time are you coming over this evening? When the fullness of time. What time is Sunday, the Sunday service starting? Well, it is starting when the fullness of time. You know, God's, God's timing is perfect. That's why Paul is writing, when the fullness of time. Because God causes everything to work for our good. You know, we can ask questions like, you know, when is the right time to do something? You know, when is the right time to leave school? Is it before or after A-levels? Is it before or after uni? You know, when is the right time to get a job? When is the right time to get married? When is the right time to have kids or get a mortgage? When shall I buy my Christmas turkey? You know, the truth is, we don't know, but God does. Because as I said, God's timing is perfect. He causes everything to work for our good. Now, church, we have a king who rules and reigns over us. We have a king whose timing is always perfect. You know, God is never late and is never early. God's timing is perfect. He is always on time. You know, and I think that often we want things to work out in our own time, don't we? You know, we want to be the king or queen over our own lives. You know, we don't like it when we're not in control. We want to be in control, don't we? You know, why must I reset another year at school? Why have I failed my driving test? Now, how dare this person get a promotion over me? Why is the supermarket run out of stuffing? You know, why is it that every person around me is either getting married or having kids, and I'm not? Or why has God not chosen to heal the person that I've been praying for? And the truth is, we don't know. But even over 2,000 years ago, similar questions were being asked. You know, the Israelites, where is the Messiah? You know, don't forget, over Israel at the time, the Romans ruled. There was Roman rule over Israel. You know, the Jews were hungry for a Messiah to come. 
You know, there was this, this, this great anticipation for a Messiah, for Jesus, for a king to come. You know, the birth of Jesus happened at the right time. It didn't happen too early. It didn't happen too late. It happened at just the right time. And it was not only to fulfill prophecy, but it was because God is a God who is in control. You know, people knew that they were in the time of the Messiah because back in those days, they were asking John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? But what did John the Baptist say? He said no, didn't he? He said, no, I'm not. But there is someone coming who is. The next one is far greater than me. You know, God isn't haphazard about anything. He is the source. He is the center of it all. Center of all order. He is the one who is in control. So what happened in the fullness of time or when the right, kind, right time came? Well, God sent his son. Jesus' life didn't begin as a baby in a manger. Do you know what? I've just, I've just discovered this online, that you can actually get the Old and the New Testament in, in the Lego characters. It's called, it's called the Brick Testament. I've missed out asking for that this, uh, for this Christmas, but I think that will definitely be on my list for next. But God sent his son, didn't he? Jesus' life didn't begin in a manger. He existed before the world began. Because it says in the book of Genesis, you know, in the beginning, God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it later says in verse 26, let us make man in our own image. Now Jesus' life didn't start in a manger. It started before he created the world. He existed before the world began. And yet, the Son is sent to deal with the fall of Adam and Eve's sin. It is so unexpected of a king, a king to come, or to be the first to come and solve a problem. But Jesus freely gives up everything that he has, all the treasures in heaven. He gives up his, uh, his royal throne to live as one of us. You know, what king leaves his throne What king is prepared to sacrifice the riches of his kingdom to come and live amongst ordinary people like us? You know, Jesus is the unexpected king. He was born of a woman. The divine son of God became the son of man. He became human for our sake. You know, Jesus was born as a baby in the midst of a chaotic world. You know, he could have appeared as an angel. He was God. Why choose to come as a baby? You know, it's not like Mary was, was, was volunteering her, her womb. You know, it wasn't like, what's that, God? A king is coming. Well, there's room in my womb. You know, Mary wasn't like that, was she? It's so unexpected. 
And to come, or to be born of a virgin, a virgin birth, to be born to parents who are not married, to be born poor, and to be born in a manger. Now, what is a manger? A manger is actually just a fancy word for a trough, a pig trough. You know, it is so unexpected. You know, the one who made the starry skies, the one who caused creation uh, into being, is here laying in a manger. The one that Ephesians says, uh, sorry, that Colossians says, who, who the earth is sustained through him and for him, is there laying in a manger. You know, it is so unexpected because this is not the way that a king enters the world. You know, and salvation wasn't even instant, was it? You know, they had to wait another like 30 plus years for the Messiah to grow up. You know, talk about a slow way to bring salvation to the world. If you bring in salvation, you'd think you'd want it to be instant, wouldn't you? You don't expect to have to wait so long for God's promise to come and have to wait again another 30 plus years for the Messiah to actually start his ministry. So why humanity? Why choose to come as a baby? Well, it is not just to fulfill scripture, but it is because he created humanity, didn't he? He created humanity. Why wouldn't he come as one of us? You know, Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Let us make man in our own image. We are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of Jesus. Why wouldn't he take the form of something that he created? Because it is good. He created us and we are good to him. You know, people expected a Messiah, but what they didn't expect was him to appear by accident. You know, people expected the birth of a king, but what they didn't expect was their king to be born in a pig trough. You know, people expected their king to be greeted by or welcomed by royalty instead of being welcomed by shepherds or pagan wise men. You know, Jesus is the unexpected king. But why say? Why does Paul write he was born of a woman? I mean, surely that's obvious. No one can be born of a man. Because Genesis 3 verse 15 says, From now on, you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This was foretold a long time ago. Jesus to be born of a woman, so that her, his or our, or, sorry, her offspring will be enemies with the enemy. Goes on to say, "Was born subject to the law." You know, being born under the law meant that Jesus Himself had to be subject to the law that He created. It is so unexpected of a king. 
You know, kings and queens are not subject to the law. Despite what you might think, they are not subject to the law. They are actually deemed above the law. They are deemed as sovereignty. You know, you cannot take civil action against a king or a queen because they are sovereign. You know, I work for the prison service and even when, when we get new prisoners that come from court, they come with paperwork, they come with something called a warrant and on that warrant it will say the queen versus that person. And because the courts act in the authority of the queen, so no one can ever take uh, the king or a queen to court. So it is so unexpected that Jesus would come and subject himself as a king to the Lord that he created. You know, Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. Our, our Jesus, he is so unexpected. He is the unexpected king. So we'll move on. It says to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could be adopted as his very children. You know, church, slavery existed in Jesus' time. Their slaves served in houses. They served in people's work. Slaves did the lowest jobs. You know, they were disregarded as being important. You know, they had no worth. You know, they were almost viewed as invisible by their owners. You know, slaves were the lowest class of society. You know, even back in those times... Even freed criminals had more rights than slaves. Slaves had no status. You know, you couldn't even own a place if you were a slave. You'd have nowhere to go, nowhere to call your own. You know, and slaves would be kept in poor conditions, almost prison-like conditions. They'd be kept chained up, chained, so that they couldn't go anywhere. They'd lost their freedom. You know, the only way that a slave could gain freedom was to pay the price, was to pay for it themselves. And yet Jesus, as our unexpected king, came and gave up his life to purchase our freedom. You know, Jesus paid the full price for our sin so that we could live freely. Church, what kind of king do we know is prepared to die for his people? You know, perhaps for his family, perhaps maybe for good friends. But a king is sovereign. They'd be the last person to die, wouldn't they? It's like a game of chess. If you think about a game of chess, the king is the most treasure, uh, sorry, treasured possession on that board. It is not the queen, it is the king. He's sacrificed the pawns, he's sacrificed the rooks, the knights, the bishops, even the queen herself to protect 
the king. The king is viewed as a sovereign. You know, kings would send the cavalry first, way before themselves. You know, a king would be the last person to die. And yet Jesus, as our unexpected king, he flipped that round. Jesus was the first to die. It was so unexpected from a king. And it was to purchase our freedom. You know, Jesus is our cavalry for Calvary. You know, animal sacrifices couldn't make atonement for our sin. They couldn't deal with it. They could only deal with it partly. But thank God for Jesus, our one and only true sacrifice. And what does the scripture say next? It says, in doing so, we are adopted as his children. You know, there are huge costs in adopting children. There are financial, it's emotional, it's not just your time, but it's the added stress. You know, there's even a bigger cost between having children of your own and adopting someone else's child or children. Because adoption involves choosing a child or children amongst many others. You know, who can make that decision? Who can decide who gets a home and who doesn't? You know, adoption involves looking at a child's file. You look at their personal history. You look at their mum. You look at their dad. You look at what relationships were going on, their brothers and sisters. You look at what their schooling is like, if they've even reached that age of schooling. You know, you look at whether there was any previous fostering in place. You look at their medical history. Has a child been sick or ill? You know, not just coughs and colds. Does the child have ADHD? Does it have Asperger's? You know, has it had broken arms or legs? Has that child sustained those injuries? You know, I praise God for those people who are ready to embrace adoption and embrace the suffering of it. Because adoption is one of the biggest I love yous that someone can ever say. And church, you know what the biggest I love you is? It's God saying, despite your past, despite your present, despite your future mistakes, it is God sending his son, born of a woman, born subject to the law, to purchase our freedom from the law so that we could be adopted into his family. No, God, when he created the heavens and the earth, when he created us, he knew that this moment right now was going to take place. He, knew, he knows what's going to take place tomorrow, in a week or two, or in a year or two's time. Because he is a God that's in control. He knows what mistakes we're going to make. What we're going to make. And yet, despite those mistakes, despite what's happened in our past, our present, and even what we're going to do in the future, he still says, I love you.
That is the greatest I love you of all is sending his son Jesus. So what does it say next? That he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out or call out, Abba, Father. You know, when children are adopted into a family, it takes time for them to feel part of that family. You know, despite the legal paperwork saying so, you know, legally somebody can be, can be part of a family, but they may not necessarily feel that inside. You know, a child needs to feel secure. They need to feel secure in their identity. They need to feel loved. You know, and it is the same for us. You know, God pours out the spirit of his son into our hearts to give us that experience of being embraced in a family. You know, we get to use the same intimate language that God, or that Jesus used for God the Father. Abba, Father. It is so unexpected of a king to do that for us. Now, I don't know who you call mum or dad, or what you're called, to be honest, whether whether you have children of your own, whether you're fostered, whether you're adopted, or whether you're a spiritual mum or dad. You know, my children, sometimes they call me dad, sometimes they call me daddy. Shiloh calls me Baba. Aaron, bum bum face. <laughs> poo poo face. You know, but that's... That's the kind of intimate language that we use in our house. You know, my dad, he calls me garçon. He's from Mauritius, and in Mauritius they use a broken uh, language called creole, which is a mixture of French and English. And he calls me garçon, which is French for boy. Even, what, I'm 36 years of age. I phoned him up on Friday. He still called me garçon. It's, it's that kind of intimate language that we're, that we're so privileged to use now. We can call God our Abba Father. We call him Daddy. He's personal. So we are now no longer a slave, but we are God's own child. And because we are his child, God has made us his heir. Now, we are no longer a slave says, our debt has been cancelled. We are free to go. We have a new identity. We are sanctified. We are made righteous. We are holy and we are blameless in his sight. We are free. You know, God has made us an heir. We get to share in everything that God has we get to share on the same level as what Jesus has. And that's, that's incredible, isn't it? You know, Jesus is the unexpected king. No, no one expected a king to be born in a manger. No one expected a king to be born to a virgin, to unmarried parents. No one expected a king to be born to poor people. No one expected a king to be born in Nazareth, in Nazareth or some low-life town in Galilee. No one expected a king 
to be born the son of a carpenter. No one expected a king to go missing for three days and be found in a temple debating with religious leaders. No one expected a king to assemble a group of tax collectors or fishermen and call them his disciples. No one expected a king to perform miraculous signs. No one expects a king to go and feed 5,000 with five loaves or two fish. No one expects a king to turn water into wine. No one expects a king to heal a man born blind or even raise a man from the dead who is even four days dead. No one expected a king to be convicted of an offence that he did not commit and even face death and death on a cross. And lastly, no one expected a king to actually rise from the dead three days later. You know, Jesus didn't come to give us nice Christmas presents. He came to give us the greatest Christmas present of all, himself. Because he is the irrefutable unexpected king. You know, Jesus would go to places that no other king would go. He'd have contact with people that other kings wouldn't have contact with. He'd do things that they couldn't, wouldn't he? Jesus would break down barriers. He changed lives like no other king could. He'd redeem and restore. He'd make the broken whole. He'd make the ordinary extraordinary. He'd preach to the poor, the impoverished, whether that's physically or spiritually poor. He'd heal the brokenhearted. He'd set the captives free, physically or spiritually. And he'd restore sight to the blind. And in doing so, he'd bring in this unique vision or this unique aspect of love. You know, most kings go to war to get what they want. Jesus went to war with our sin. He went to war with our shame. He went to war with our mistakes. And he went to war with a cross. And the good news is, church, is that he won. He won. You know, what king do you know who is like him? And we're just going to watch, if we're able to, watch a short video. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's a sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. So much truth in that, isn't it? So much truth in who our King is. He, Jesus is the unexpected King. You know, this season of Advent reminds us that the question is not whether Jesus will or will not return. The question is not whether Jesus will or will not come through for you. The question is when. It's not whether he will or not, it is when. And church, I want to ask you this morning, now how many of us are waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled? How many of us are waiting for words that have been spoken over you to be put into action? You know, we were reminded a couple of weeks ago that there is testimony in the waiting or perhaps, are you the king and queen of your own life? You know, do you try and control your own life or your own journey? Do you surrender yourself to God? Are you disappointed when God's plan is not the same as yours? You know, I was looking back on, on my life 
since I became a Christian. I failed my GCSEs. I gained one B. The rest were just in C's and D's. I failed my driving theory test twice before passing on the third time. I failed my practical driving test not once, not twice, not even three times, not even a fourth time. I failed my driving test, sorry, I'd failed my driving test four times before I'd passed on the fifth time. I failed to succeed in promotion four times before being promoted to the grade I am now. I failed to prevent my parents from getting divorced. I failed my promotion assessment twice. The latest, or the second time, I failed about one mark, one poxy mark. Now, I've had a rubbish week. We've got two managers in my department who are sick at the moment. So it is me carrying their work as well as my own. I went to my line manager for support. I didn't get it. I went to the number one governor for support. She said to me, you just need to manage upwards. <laughs> I'm assisting on an investigation, quite a major investigation at work. I'm also now the case manager for a prisoner who is uh, at quite a high risk of self-harm. His latest thing he did was he tried to drown himself in his own sink. You know, this week I've fallen out with my wife, I've fallen out with my kids, and on top of that, I've had to write a preach. <laughs> Not to mention that even when I left work on Thursday evening, I was cycling home. I got stopped by the police. Not just one police car, but two. They stopped, so I stopped. Then they continued, so I continued. They then stopped again, so I stopped. They then continued, so I then continued. And then they stopped and they blocked the entire road. So I stopped and I thought, what is this about me? I'm wearing my helmet, you know, I, I, I'm dressed in, um, you know, I, I look like a highlighter, to be honest. I was black from the waist down, um, this fluorescent like, jacket from the waist up. You know, I had lights on my bike, I had everything. I was complying with, with the law. I thought, what is going on? And, and the officer stepped out of the car and I was like, you know, what is it? Like, is it me? Like, what, what's going on? And they were like, no, 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 we're not looking for you. I was thinking, oh, my goodness me, what, why on earth? Stop, then start, stop and start, stop and start. You know, what, what on earth is, is going on? This week has been a pants week, to be honest. You know, I, I, let, let me be honest with you. I know it's Christmas and we should probably be in a festive spirit, but I am not looking forward to Christmas. You know, I, I'm probably going to have... That post, that post Christmas kind of, you know, that blur kind of feeling. Um, I'm going to feel guilty because I've not sent one single Christmas card out. I've not even bought one Christmas present, to be honest. I'm going to feel guilty over eating too much 
because I'm also running a marathon in four months' time. I'm also going to be wondering whether the family gatherings will go well or not. It's probably going to lead me to make a New Year's resolution that I cannot keep. I'm probably going to start a Bible reading plan, you know, the 365-day Bible reading plan. I'll nail it on the first, but I'll fail it on the second. You know, one point, if there's one thing that I want to leave us with this morning, it's this. It's that Jesus is our unexpected king. Put your faith in him. Here it is. He's our unexpected king. Put your faith in him. Despite what is going on in your weeks, despite what's going on in your family life, despite what's going on in your work situations, he's our unexpected king. Put your faith in him. Now this Christmas, don't be surprised if you find yourself worshipping Jesus where you least expect him. You know, Jesus was long expected. You can see that through the Old Testament from Genesis through to Malachi. Every letter, every book in the Bible shows or demonstrates Jesus, points us to Jesus. He was long expected. But the when, the how, the where, the why was not. All came unexpected. So the church, I want to leave you with this. This Christmas... Expect to find Jesus in hospitals where people are too sick to be at home, too sick to spend Christmas with their family or their friends. Expect to find Jesus in homeless shelters, spending it with people who haven't got a home that they can call them their own. Expect to find Jesus amongst the emergency services, the people who are working who haven't got Christmas Day off, the people protecting you and I. Expect to find Jesus spending it with people in prison, people who have lost their physical freedom. Expect to find Jesus with the lonely, who have no one to spend Christmas with. Expect to find Jesus with the family and the friends who have lost or are about to lose people that they so dearly love. And most of all, expect to find Jesus in yourself. Expect him to meet with you. He will turn up in the most random of situations, most random of places where we least expect to find him. You know, church, for Jesus, Christmas isn't about tradition, but it is about salvation. I'd like to invite you all to stand. Do you know what? I'm really pleased that Michaela started this morning saying, look at this year. Look at the past year, 2018. Look at what has happened. The ups and the downs. The good things and the bad things. The memories. The pain. Yet despite this, he is our unexpected king. No one expected him to turn up as he did. 
but we're so pleased that he did. Jesus is the greatest Christmas present we could ever, ever ask for. And I just want to read this from Isaiah. You may know it. It's from Isaiah 9. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at this harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Do you know what? As we go into worship, let's praise God for Jesus. Let's thank him because he is the greatest Christmas present of all. He is the king above all kings. He's the Lord above all lords. He is the one who is high and lifted up. He is the one that comes through for us. He is the one who is faithful to us. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is full of peace. He is full of joy. He is full of love. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one who went to the cross without any hesitation. When Adam and Eve fell short of the glory of God, Jesus couldn't wait to leave his throne for us. I thank God for Jesus. And as we go into worship, despite the situations that you've been facing, despite what this year has brought, because it has brought pain, as well as those good times, God is still God. God is is Emmanuel. He is God with us.